This is a Valfem special, special broadcast. broadcast. The COVID Report Show. Molweni, Sanbonani, and welcome to another installment of the COVID Report, where we unpack and dissect COVID-19 and its impacts on the various aspects of our lives. This is your one-stop shop for all the facts, stats, and figures with none of the misinformation. I am your host, Siposi Sengosa Zanamuli. Today on the COVID Report, we unpack the use of traditional herbal medicine and its role in the fight against the coronavirus. We have seen various aspects of this conversation happen online, and today we bring it together. To do this, we are joined by Mkulu Zola Trashimba. He is Inyanga, a naturalist and a herbalist. He specializes in indigenous ethnomedicine, ethnopsychology, and ethnopsychiatry. Mkulu, thank you so much for joining us. And we would like to hear firstly, what do all the ethnos in your title mean? Thank you very much for having me. Well, ethno would mean ethnic, indigenous. And we're using words like ethno because it's like English, English language. Um, in an indigenous sense, I'd be what we understood as Inyang. And then Inyang would be the person who is a naturalist, who is a herbalist, who is a person that diagnoses, who works with herbs, which works with the seasons, which works with nature in all the different ways. Um, but for the sake of English, you know, we have to say ethno-indigenous. Now, um, I'm a psychologist, I counsel people, and I'm a psychiatrist because I treat people until illnesses using herbs. So that's why I say I'm an ethno-psychologist and ethno-psychiatrist. And that's what I studied when I went to go and toss out all the different medicines that we use to treat all sorts of different mental illnesses and also other medicines that we use to treat the body and all sorts of different ailments. Learning something new every single day, ethnomedicine and what it means and how actually the two worlds of indigenous medicine actually collide with things like psychology. So getting to our conversation today, we are unpacking the role traditional healers and traditional medicine can play in the fight against this pandemic. So before we engage more critically on that, I'd like to ask, what is your take on the virus and the traditional understanding of the virus? My take, honestly, is a little bit different from the traditional understanding. But from what I understand is that it's a virus that's attacking the respiratory system. It's shutting down people's ability to breathe. And as a result, they die. That's what I understand, the basic understanding of this virus. It operates as a flu. That's another thing that I understand about this. You know, so it's seemingly based on the statistics. You know, it's a mild flu based on the statistics. Because why I say it's a mild flu? Because if you look at the amount of people flu kills in a month, statistically, it's just as infectious as coronavirus, you know, but coronavirus still has met the the kill rate that a flu like flu a flu like the, the the influenza has there are many different types of flus but in we talk about mkoshan we don't have different like sometimes we will say different like a tribe cough but mkoshan and mkoshan and we treat mkoshan all different mkoshan is in the same way by unblocking the lungs cleansing the lungs 
using medicines in some cases, in other cases using diet, in other cases using cleansing protocols such as enema, emesis, um, steaming. So an enema would be ugutata, be spayed. Emesis would be ugupalaz, to steam. You know, these are the different modalities we'd use. Why would we use these different modalities? Because they help drain the body of all the toxins and wastes and mucus which are causing congestion in the body. So that's what I'd say about it. If we go deeper into what do I think about coronavirus actually, I would say like any other flu, right? It's a, it shuts down the respiratory system through congestion. Congestion of what? Mucus. Why does the mucus come in the first place? It's well, the mucus is forming to protect the lining of the tissue on your lungs, on your throat, in your esophagus, and in the connective tissue. So the body has blood, you know, and it has, which is red, and it has white blood, which is called lymphatic fluid. You know, it's like when you get burnt and you get a boil, and then there's that water, which if you leave for a few hours or days, it starts to go into a white pus. Yes, that's lymphatic fluid, which is made by your body in your liver using um, either sugars or fats, cholesterol, simply put. The body uses cholesterol to bring down inflammation. Viruses, bacteria, all of these things, when they touch tissue inside your body, they begin, they begin to create a process of irritation, which is what they'll call in the Western system inflammation because what happens is you start to swell, right? This swelling is caused by lymphatic fluids, you know, the white blood that you see rushing to the infected area, you know, to try and soothe the area. Now, lymphatic fluids are mucus-like, oily-like, fat-based substance. Now, the thing is, the more um, the condition exacerbates itself, whatever the condition is, whether it's a flu or burn, and it doesn't, there's no draining out of lymphatic fluids, right? And the bacteria is still irritating the flesh the more lymphatic fluids are sent to that particular spot. So in the lung, you've got something, you've got a, a, a bacteria that's affecting the tissues of the lungs, and then the body is trying to respond by sending mucus to coat the lining of the lung. But this mucus isn't draining out, and because it's not draining out, it's causing the cells that make up the, the tissue of the, the lungs, of the respiratory tract, of the veins in the respiratory tract, these tissues, all these cells, are being suffocated by all the mucus that starts to coat the lining of the lungs inside and out. As this mucus is not leaving the body, it starts to stop a very vital thing from happening to the body. Oxygen reaching the cell because the mucus that is caused, which is caused by the inflammation, the body uses mucus, cholesterol, specifically the lymphatic fluid made from cholesterol to bring down inflammation. That mucus is congesting the tissue, the connective tissue, which drains out the mucus. You know, so because it's swollen, inflammation is swelling at a cellular level. So what happens is when you breathe in, the body expands. And as the body expands, oxygen is supposed to reach the cell level, reach your cells, reach at the cellular level with fluids, the fluids obviously being the blood that's carrying all the different nutrients that penetrate into the cell, feed the cell, and then the cell removes all the waste. Right now, between cells, there's fluid. 
This fluid, right, would be understood as interstitial fluid. When the cells are packed close to tie, close tight together, you've got a dry state. When they're far apart from each other, you've got a water state. A water state is a dangerous state. It's a state that happens when, obviously, there's inflammation because there's lots of fluid in that particular point. So the cells move further and further apart. When cells move further and further apart, proteins bind around the cell to protect the cell. But the problem with these proteins is that they stop anything from going inside the cell. So no oxygen, no nutrients, nothing. The cell then shuts down because the sodium-potassium pumps stop working because there's no nutrients coming into the cell. A cell that dies, right, is then comes cellular waste and it's packed up where? In the body's lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is the body's sewerage system. If the body's sewerage system doesn't drain out, how does it drain out? It drains out through the kidneys. Left kidney, right kidney, throughout through the bladder, obviously through the intestinal tract, and most importantly, through the skin. The skin is where all the waste come out from if they're not coming out through the bladder and through the anus. They come out through the skin. Now, the lymphatic system is packed, packed with waste, and the waste is not flowing out. What happens is that you're suffocating all the other cells and you're creating more and more for weight, a wet state, which then kills more and more cells. And the thing is, you must understand, the human body is comprised of something like 100 trillion cells, and we are only 30% of those cells. That means those 70% of the cells need to stay alive, so the 30%, which is us, can stay in this reality we call life. Right, so the issue that we're having when we're looking at coronavirus, what I, why I've explained this lengthy thing, is an issue with people's lymphatic systems. When we're saying lymphatic systems, what we mean is the, the ability of a human being's body to drain out waste, waste in the form of mucus, mucus and toxins. Mucus and toxins. When you cough, what comes out? Mucus. Why is the mucus coming out? Because there's congestion of mucus in the lungs, in the respiratory tract, because there's something irritating the lungs and the connective tissue in the lungs and in the respiratory tract, and the body's trying to bring down using mucus to coat the lining and protect it. That's, that's what's happening. But if, like I say, that the body does not drain that mucus out, it's pooling. And if it's pooling, it's shutting down the person's lungs. So what would we do in the traditional sense? Well, we're going to make a person palas, or we're going to make a person steam, and we're going to make a person kata. Why would we make a person kata? If the lungs are being affected, we have to look at what's causing these lungs to be affected. We say in the traditional sense, immunity starts in the stomach. It doesn't start anywhere else. Immunity starts in the stomach. Why does immunity start in the stomach? Because in your stomach, that's where... You firstly break down the food. After breaking down the food, it starts moving into your intestines. As it's moving towards your intestines, different enzymes are being released to, to absorb all the different nutrients and the byproducts of that. And then when they get absorbed, they get utilized in the body as it's moving through the intestine. But the problem is, if we are eating diets, right, that firstly are nutritionally weak, right, even if we're eating Whatever goes into our, uh, into our intestinal tract, right, it gets breaking down, broken down, but the amount of nutrition that we take in, you know, is very low. So all the different building blocks that the body needs, copper, zinc, iron, you know, um, magnesium, calcium, vitamin D, A, K, all these different vitamins and minerals, which the body needs 
for immunity, to create new cells, to create um, new fluids, new hormones, to keep your hormones in balance, in alignment with the circadian rhythms of the earth. If you eat the wrong things, what happens is you firstly get not enough nutrition, so not enough of all these building blocks. So the different organs in the body start to shut down. So if you're not feeding all your, 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 your cells, all the things they eat, your kidneys are made up of cells. If your cells are starving, right, your kidneys are starving, that means when it's time for your body to filter out waste, right, there will be no waste filtering out because it's just going to pack up in the kidneys, pack up in the lymph system, not enough peeing. Not, your, your kidneys won't be filtering, so it will be peeing, but be no mass of mucus in your pee. If you ever wanted to know, is there ma- is my, are my kidneys filtering? Pee in a, in a jar. Pee in a jar and leave that jar outside for six hours. After six hours, it will separate. At the bottom, there'll be a thick mass, which is mucus, if, that's, if you, you, your, your kidneys are filtering. And if not, you, it'll be just one consistent weight, wet with water the whole way. People's kidneys are not filtering. People's lymphatic systems are blocked. So what happens to them? The disease stays inside of them. The congestion stays inside of them. More cells and more cells and more cells and more cells are dying. So we make a person take an enema because we're cleaning out their intestines because we understand the things that they're eating firstly were were void of nutrition. Secondly, how they are breaking down and fermenting in that person's gut. That process is poisoning the bloodstream, which is causing more inflammation in the body, which is then causing the body to create more cholesterol to bring down inflammation in all the affected areas of the body, which is just creating more and more congestion. So the issue here, when we're trying to deal with corona in a traditional way, we're not saying this is a cure. You know, we'd have to address how does the body heal and deal with the sickness of like a flu. And how the body deals with a sickness like a flu, like I say, it's by removing the waste. You have to remove the mucus and the toxins. So people eat lots of acidic diets. They eat meats, they eat dairies. And yes, we love that, that type of diet. But the problem with eating that diet is firstly, our cows you know, are raised on genetically modified products, you know, and they are also injected with all sorts of hormones so they grow quickly. All of this goes into our food, firstly into our meats. We eat it so it goes into our body, which imbalances our body. Meat and and all dairy products, animal products, you know, are acidic. As soon as they go into your body, they cause mucus and they cause bad fermentations you know, and they cause things to rot in your stomach quickly. Do you know people try and get calcium from milk? You're not going to get much calcium from milk, and let me tell you why. When you drink milk, right, it's acidic. It raises the acidity in your blood, in your body. And to bring down that acidity, you need cholesterol, cholesterol which contains fat and calcium, contains calcium in it. So... What happens, all the, the calcium that you just drank from the milk, which was really little actually, gets turned into lymphatic fluids, you know, the cholesterol, which is going to bring down the cholesterol, which is going to bring down the inflammation. And that's what I'm trying to say. We eat things when we were hoping for calcium, but we don't get the calcium because of what the body does then with what you just gave. And then that's not the end of the problem. After that, all that milk goes into your gut and starts rotting what's already inside your gut. Now, people 
in the ancient world engaged in monthly cleansing because they understood one simple thing. The cause and the root behind most illnesses in people is not keeping their diet clean, firstly meaning eating indigenous foods, so naturally occurring foods, one, and combining them properly, so eating the correct food combination, you know, so not mixing a sweet fruit with a sour fruit. You can mix subacidic fruits with, with acidic fruits, but you can't mix sweet fruits with sour fruits, so eating things in the right combination and in the right amount. But most important of all things was monthly cleansing. They did that without fear. What was monthly cleansing? Well, it would be the whole process of your enema, your emesis, your steaming, your washing on one side, fasts too, because the most powerful way to cleanse and heal anything, if you get sick, what does nature make you do? Fast. Just try to get sick. What happens? You don't have an appetite. Why? Because the, your nature says the thing that's making you sick is the waste in your body. And the only way I'm going to get this waste out of you is if you stop eating and I start moving this waste out of you. So we follow the very same principle. If nature says that when someone's sick, you know, don't put in more food. Remove the obstacles. Remove the obstructions inside of them. That's what we'll do. So we start removing the obstructions. After we remove the obstructions, we obviously use obstructions with herbs that are effective at removing obstructions. In this time, you find there's a big craze around wormwood, or what it's called in Shonyana or Lingana. It's the Lingana is a Swiss name, Shonyana is an African name, wormwood is an English name. A botanical name would be Artemisia. There's different um, species, Afra, Vulgaris, and Olifus, Elautica. All of them are different species. In South Africa, in different parts of South Africa, you find different species. You can find Africa, um, Afra, Artemisia Afra in one space and vulgaris in another. Some of these, the difference between these different species of Artemisia is the compounds. Some will have antiplasmodial, some won't have antiplasmodial properties. Some will have lots of potassium, some won't have lots of potassium, for example. Now, right now you find Madagascar is using wormwood, umshonyana, to treat coronavirus. Why is umshonyana effective? Umshonyana, well, it's got a lot of phytonutrients in it, which help cleanse the respiratory tract. You know, how they help cleanse the respiratory tract is because of this firstly astringent properties, these nutrients. These astringent properties, what, what they do is cause the connective tissue in the respiratory tract, in the lungs, to squeeze out, to contract and squeeze out mucus and toxins. You know, so it pushes it out, right? It also has an effect of breakout of um, it also has actions which are antimicrobial, antibacterial. So it breaks down the bacteria and the parasites that are inside all that mucus and waste, you know, so it's no longer as dangerous to the body and it helps pass it through by breaking it down. It's got demulcent properties in it. So these are the things in wormwood, you know, that make it so effective. It's also got anti-malarial properties, anti-plasmodial specifically. Um, properties. And this uh, plasmodial is the type of is a type of bacteria which they say corona falls under. That's why malaria drugs work so well against um, wormwood. Another um, good example of what would be good to be used um, against wormwood, then if we're saying it's a plasmodial and plasmodials work against work well against it, would be something called revolfa, revolfa, cafra. 
you know, in um, the botanical sense, you know, but for us, Abant, we call it Shambamans. Even the word tells you Shambamans, it washes the waters in the body. Which waters are we talking about? The blood and the lymphatic fluids. In the because obviously the lymphatic why we say the lymphatic fluids need to be washed is because the lymphatic fluids also have their own arterial system, you know that the the fluids flow they don't flow in the veins as because they have their own vein vein system, you know that the lymphatic fluids flow through and because the lymphatic fluids are like I said made from cholesterol a fat lipid basins meaning they can get sticky and coat the lining of um, veins and arteries and organs, you know. You need to have products, you know, that can break down the thickness, you know, of this lymphatic fluid and move it out. Because you remember within the lymphatic fluid is cellular wastes, which were on their way to the kidneys to go out through the bladder and the genitals or out through the skin. So medicines like Revolvacal or Shambaman are very good against coronavirus because they're good for the good against plasmodials. I'm not saying it's a cure for coronavirus, but I'm saying it's an alternative just to wormwood. Um, I'd say also a lot of herbs which are in the in the West, what they call the mountain. So firstly, before I go into that conversation, I just want to say in Africa, our system works on, on actions. Our medicines are named after action. Everything about our system works on actions. Our medicines are named after actions. Right? So. For example, Utumamlilo, you know, it means to put out the flyer, put out the fire. Or in, a, in another way, if we were to translate it into a botanical sense, a herbalist botanical phytotherapy sense, we'd be saying it's an anti-inflammatory. It brings down inflammation. So in what I'm trying to say is we should be focusing on foods foods before we even get to herbs let's start focusing on foods because the issue with corona is one where we have to actually be realistic about availability of certain things necessities no matter if you have a medicine if you don't have diet with the correct diet with your medicine you're going to get sick your sickness is only going to get worse your body is going to deteriorate so the most important thing about taking medicine whether it's african medicine or western medicine is to make sure first you got a strong nutritionist diet going a strong nutritious diet is not a diet that's filled with with your plates filled with lots of different veggies and all it's not about that it's about each vegetable that's on that plate firstly is nutritionally dense it's filled with all the nutrients your body needs Secondly, that the meal that you're eating, you combine things correctly. So diet, nutrition is at the fundamental of the approach of traditional healers and traditional medicine. This then brings me to ask, what role do you believe this has to play in the fight against corona? Does it have a bigger role to play? Is it given enough room to play? Does government support it enough? Well, government does support it enough. You know. Um, they have um, been asking um, traditional healers to participate, you know, in alleviating um, the pressure on the health system um, with dealing with um, coronavirus. So we can't say no government hasn't been assisting. Yes, there was a whole um, misunderstanding on whether um, traditional healers were health practitioners or not, because 
um, there wasn't any clarifications about what is a health practitioner. They had to look at it properly, and they looked obviously and saw that in terms of the National Health Act, you know, um, which states that um, uh, health practitioners, anyone that is that, in terms of an act of law, you know, so they have a traditional health practitioners act, which then allows for traditional healers to practice as healers. After that was cleared up, you know, traditional healers were added. So there have been much speculation on what can work for COVID in the traditional sense. You touched briefly on umklonyana and um, other things that could work and why traditional healers feel capable and what sources they would go to to combat this. But what are the other things that need to be cleared around the use of traditional medicine? What are some of the rumors you'd like to stand against and what are some of the untrue speculation that has come about? Well, um, for example, I really do feel that um, one of the untrue things is um, do tra- are traditional healers competent enough um, to actually deal with the situation? Now, to, to ask that question, well, we need to actually put it to the test. You can't answer it, you know, unless we put it to the test. Why I say that? Because everything needs case studies. You know, people need to go to traditional years with coronavirus and get help. And then we'll know that, yes, they can treat it. Or no, they, they should not even be trying. You know, that's the only way you can't. The proof is in the pudding. Life is like that. It's always in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. And this has clearly been the case in Cameroon. So traditional healers in Cameroon have seen a rush for herbal medicine and a need. Do you believe that in South Africa we can expect the same rush eventually? Or are we continuously going to see our Western medicine the first point of call? To be honest with you, we are moving into the age where the whole world is returning back to using herbs. Why? Because people have come to the understanding, you know, that then they use um, um, drugs, you know, pharmaceutical products. You know, many people don't achieve the desired outcome that they want, you know, and they're tired of trying and trying and trying and not receiving receiving the treatment that they want or the healing that they're looking for. So many people are finding healing in herbs. So, and the efficacy of herbs is being proven day by day, more and more herbs and more and more herbal treatments are being used by people and people are getting results for their cancers, for their TBs, for their strange sicknesses that the the Western health system can't heal. Many people are finding um, help in the hands of traditional healers. You know, and this is not just African people we're talking about. A massive demand for traditional medicine and herbalytics. So now this brings me to big question that has been on the African continent and what actually inspired the idea for this interview. You touched on it earlier of Madagascar has come out with a herbal tonic, COVID organics, and it is being ordered by Tanzania, Equatorial Guinea, the Congo. And Cameroon has even promoted it and further sent out a team to study the treatment. What is your take on this particular medicine and the, the approach and the support for this particular medicine? So um, this particular medicine, like I say, it's so good because for against coronavirus because of its antiplasmodial action one. So it's good against the type of bacteria 
like I said, it's also anti-inflammatory, so it brings down the inflammation in the body, so your body doesn't have to keep producing excess cholesterol to try to bring down the inflammation. Um, it's got antibacterial, so it's good against bacteria. It's got antimicrobial, so it's good against microorganisms, so different types of bacteria, all sorts of small microbacteria. It's antispasmodic, so if your intestines are not moving the waste properly because they're spasming, but I would say um, researching that type of medicine is good, but there's no need really to research much on it because a lot of the research has been done for over 50, 60 years. This is a herb that has been researched. You know, um, even alcohol was made from it. A popular alcohol called absinthe, you know, has been made from it. Um, back in the days before um, we are in now the Rainbow Nation, you know, in the art styles, Medjugorje, you could buy Vildaas brand, which is Vildaas brandy, where they just take Mshonyana and put it in brandy and keep it in a bottle for 30 days, and then you'd have a tincture of it, which people would have a shot of when they'd be facing flus and colds and things of the light. It's got antiparasitical um, properties in it, so it's very good for killing parasites, you know, so um viruses and like things that parasites like similar to wormwood or parasites that you'd find inside the conditions of a flu that form inside the mucus it's very good for cleaning these type of parasites and bacteria you know so it's brilliant that they're investigating it and they want to cultivate it the nice thing about wormwood is that it's a it's a bush shrub you know so it's fast growing you know, it's fast, it's easily replaceable, it has a good seed distribution, so it grows really well. Where, for example, something like Ushamba Manz, you know, um, fever tree or Volfa Kafra, you know, is a tree, you know, so it takes longer for it to grow into a tree, which you then use the bark of, you know, so it wouldn't be really effective if you were trying to get this across the country, across the world really quickly, because it takes longer for a tree to grow, you know, so something like Wormwood is good. Um, but we also have to look at other things, like I say, things like wild garlic, you know, which have, like I say, they have um, decoagulant properties inside of them. So it helps to break down the mucus, it helps to break down thick blood and thick lymphatic fluids. Um, emollient, look, I'm saying demulcent, emollient outside, demulcent inside, demulcent properties, which means it soothes the mucus membranes. So there's not. There's no excess mucus being pushed into the system, which is causing congestion. You know, um, you're looking for so you're looking for herbs with these type of things while having antibacterial, antimicrobial actions. These are things like wild garlic, things like ginger, things like onion. Onion has demulcent properties, anticoagulant properties, antibacterial. So a lot of the medicines we're looking for, we don't even have to be looking at herbs as per se, but we know we really need to look at different vegetables. Like I said, an onion has powerful, you know, anticoagulant properties, you know, powerful um, anti-catarals, um, so catas, more is mucus, anti-cateral properties. You know, it has powerful antibacterial, powerful antimicrobial properties. You know, it's, this is why I say most of our foods, if we were to approach fruits and vegetables, from the perspective of nutrition, actually we go into Google and look at what is in my apple, what is in my corn, what is in this. Why I keep saying the indigenous foods, because the indigenous foods were rich not only in nutrients, so iron, zinc, copper, magnesium, all of these things, but phytonutrients. Phytonutrients are nutrients that the plant uses to protect.
protect itself against other insects and all of those things. Those nutrients, you know, some of them can be very beneficial and now the, the, the things that give the body the, the medicinal properties that we're looking for. That's why I say things like amaranth. You know, amaranth is rich with all sorts of phytonutrients, you know, which help break down mucus, move the mucus through the body, soothe the membranes, you know, and that's what I'm trying to say. Now you're not even using something that is necessarily designed to attack the flu, but because of how it balances the body and how it helps the body to move the waste, the mucus, because it breaks it down, it dissolves it, so it exits the body much easier, you know. That's what I'd say. And we need medicines that also help with the bladder. Like I say, wormwood gets you to pee. It stimulates the bladder because of the phytonutrients inside of it. Stimulates the bladder, gets you to pee. If you're a person that uses wormwood, you'd not. Gets you to pee. And also it's an adaptogenic. It has an adaptogenic nature, meaning it makes you feel like it makes you brings back in, in the simple English, it brings back energy back into your body. So even if you're sick and you've got a, it brings back, it redirects the energy in your body by sorting out the nervous condition, the balance of water and electrolyte in your body. And also there's many reasons, you know, of it's not just the wormwood, it's the actions in the wormwood, you know, that cause the healing. If you want to understand how herbs work, how diet works, you have to understand the actions. The mystery behind medicine, you know, is actions, you know, and that's what I will say about it. You have painted such an phenomenal picture of traditional medicine and what it can actually be used for and its powers. You also spoke on the research of the traditional medicine and of Umtlonyana and what it can do. So WHO, the World Health Organization, says it supports scientifically proven traditional medicine. And under your understanding, what does that look like and what does it mean? Is that not a contradiction to what traditional medicine is. Now it has to meet up to Western standards. What is your take on this oxymoron and has it affected your work? So um, what the World Health Organization does, what the World Health Organization does, you know, we can't, um, we can't get upset about it. It's not in our country. For all we know, isn't it like in Switzerland or somewhere far away there? You know, we here in Africa, you know, and when we talk about factual situation, you know, political situation, legal situation, all of these are different situations. Practical situation on the ground here in South Africa, people will always keep going to healers, you know, for medicine. Whether the policies change, they don't change. When you're sick and you're dying, you're gonna go look for whether it's help and healing. It's just the natural way. So that's the factual situation that people will always go at a World Health, that's a lot of policy, you know, and like, how can the World Health Organization guarantee what happens on the ground level? Just like, how can us on the ground level guarantee what happens at the World Health Organization? There's so much gap in between these two spaces, what happens on the ground and what happens at the World Health Organization. Yes, the things that the World Health Organization has said have affected us as traditional leaders because there was a time where they said, you know, no one should use traditional medicines and should stay away from like, and I'm consulting with traditional healers. And they also made us seem like we were all running around saying cures for coronavirus. But I will say this is in defense of traditional healers. Our system is highly predictive because many healers, you know, when the World Health Organization and everyone else was lost for what do we do with coronavirus for saying, use wormwood, use mshonyane. And everyone, they were being told, don't 
Do you, there's no cure. Don't you dare purport anything like that. People, some people were bold enough to say this is the cure for it. You know, there were people that were saying that, you know, and that's what I'm trying to say. Some people already saw it long ago. What would the cure be for this thing? And well, Madagascar, because, and you must even remember, the, the Madagascar got the cure from a Congolese doctor. So even in Congo, they didn't, it wasn't like in Congo, they used that, that doctor's knowledge or the, any other, because in Congo, it's a herb that's known in Congo, that was common, it's common knowledge amongst people. Even here in South Africa, Lingana, Amshonyana, it's common knowledge amongst Afrikaners and blacks and whites and everyone, you know, if you're from South Africa, yeah. You know, and he's grown up in the, on, the, on the land. When I say on the land, in the rural areas of Makai, you know exactly what Mshonyana is. You know, but like, that's another story. And that's what I mean, like, so even if they say scientific this or scientific that, people on the ground aren't waiting for that. Most people who, in the ancient world, and lots of people in this time, in, especially in this day and age, in the rural areas, do you think people have time to be looking at what the World Health Organization is saying? No, they don't, because people are facing other issues. I'm hungry, I'm trying to work, I'm trying to do that. They don't have time to be listening to what the World Health Organization say. And that's what I mean about what's happening factually on the ground and what happens in the politics and what happens in policy. It's different realms and it's hard to, for each one to balance the other one. So African solutions to African problems that work on the ground and that know its people, its populace and what has worked for them. And that was Mkulu Zola unpacking the role the traditional medicine can play. We asked our fellow South Africans what they believe the role of traditional medicine could be and what their take is on traditional healing during this time. And this is what they had to say. Well, I'd say we should definitely consider the use of traditional medicine um, to treat the coronavirus. Having grown up in a village, I've seen indigenous roots and plants being used to treat a variety of ailments. Um, I think what we've seen um, recently on social media with people buying lingana um, and others even selling it for the treating of the coronavirus, um, I'd say that's something that that's fair. I don't. I wouldn't say I see anything wrong with it. If someone believes the medication will work for them, it would work. But lingana is a known um, herbal medicine that is used to treat any type of flu um, or any kind of coughing in the village. Growing up, you would be given, especially when winter comes in, you'd be um, drinking the lingana um, or medicine made out of the lingana plant. So I really don't see a problem. I would be very happy if um, the World Health Organization endorsed the use of traditional medicine in treating the coronavirus. Um, we're seeing um, other African countries promoting the medicine from Madagascar. I think that's something that we should definitely be considering, especially here in South Africa, where almost every other African person is familiar with Lingana. Um, I think all these medicines should be tested, whether they're traditional or Western because you don't want to give people medicines we don't know work and they start behaving recklessly thinking they have the penicillin so test 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 hi guys my name is Mpa. i really do believe that using traditional medicine to fight COVID 19 is very imperative for us african people because of our genes the food that we eat and the environment that we were born and live in if you look at it 
our grandparents used to drink those herbs and eat them and that helped them live a long healthy life however these days when you look at it young people die at a very young age mostly because of our unhealthy diet and weak immune system these herbs guys are rather or rather traditional medicine are mostly found in africa and are for african people so using them to fight COVID 19 might really come handy for us and that is what your fellow south africans had to say around the use of traditional medicine and traditional healers in fighting this pandemic Earlier on in the show, we were joined by Mkulu Zola, who unpacked the role of traditional healers and traditional medicine, giving us a conceptualization of the virus in a traditional sense and what could be possibly used. He also touched on Madagascar and their remedies and Cameroon and what they are doing for traditional healers. But if you have missed any of this conversation, you can listen to this show and all our shows on vawefm.co.za. And to hear more about COVID-19 and more news, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at VAWFM. Don't forget to wash your hands and keep a social distance. For the COVID report, I am Siposithi Ngosa Zanambuli, and you can find me at the same time and place next week, Monday, further reporting on COVID-19.